Welcome back, everybody, to Conversion to Christ podcast, where we dive into many different subjects about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, we have an awesome episode lined up for you, but before we do that, each episode that we film and record goes up on Spotify, Spotify for Podcasters, Apple Podcasts, and Facebook and YouTube. Let's get into this next episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to Conversion to Christ podcast. Today, we have an awesome episode planned for you today. We have Derek on the show. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? I would love to. My name's Derek Renicky. I want to thank Jackson and Alex for letting me, letting me be on their podcast. I'm so excited to be with you, and we're super excited to get this going. Yeah. So what are you doing right now on your stage of life? So I, well, I guess to introduce myself more, I didn't do that initially. No, you're good. <laughs> so I, I'm from Wisconsin. I'm a huge Packers fan, Brewers fan, love sports, and I'm a senior at the University of Utah, and I want to go to law school. However, number one is I love Jesus Christ. I love Heavenly Father. I know they love me. I know they love you. And I'm so excited to, to share my conversion story and how I came close to them. But that's what I'm up to now. I'm, I'm eyes on law school. And I can't wait to go there. Yo, that was nice, bro. Solid. I felt the, felt the like missionary just like, ah, I just want to <laughs> love everyone. I love that, dude. That was freaking awesome. I didn't realize that would come out of you. That was really good because you've just been all like, nice and kind like ever since we walked in but you're just like i love jesus and i want to just do everything for him that's amazing we do too so we're all here just like gathered in his name wanting to spread his word and feel the spirit i mean that's the happiest we've all ever felt so it's that's why we're here right awesome okay sweet so derek has an awesome little topic we were discussing before the podcast that we're going to talk about now before we get into his conversion story um do you want to kind of introduce oh wait before we do that this is alex he was on one of my first podcasts and he hasn't been back for a long time and the podcast has changed a lot since we've had like 14 episodes since he was on so it's been a little different but he's back so welcome back Alex. Thank you thank you appreciate it. Okay so before we start what topic and question were you were you talking about? Absolutely my question is how the Savior's Atonement applies to emotional healing. So when you say that like why why did that topic come to your mind if you don't mind me asking? You're like, why did you? Why are you interested in that? I grew up in the Lutheran church, and in the Lutheran church, they talk about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ exclusively through the lens of him saving us from our sins. And that's the critical part of the Savior's atonement, and each one of us needs that. And I don't want to negate the importance of that. However, equally important is the healing aspect. That's my favorite title of the Savior is the Master Healer. And later on, we'll get into why that means something very personal to me. However, as I've been following Christ seriously for the last five years, or actually seven years, that, that truth, the healing part of His Atonement, has brought so much joy and so much happiness to my life. And I'm just beginning to feel that healing. And it's been amazing over the last seven years. It's gone from intellectually knowing it to then becoming more of a feel where I, I know it from my, from my heart, from my soul. And with everything we're facing as a society, whether it's the contention in public discourse, whether it's all the contention we're seeing on social media, whether it's social issues, that could be members of the LGBTQ community and or plus community, whether that's or that's just struggling with, with your parents fighting or struggling with trying to forgive somebody close to you, trying to forgive yourself from stuff. That healing aspect, I've found that the more I feel the Savior's Atonement emotionally heal me, the forgiveness and having patience and understanding and hope, no matter what adversity is ahead, 
that grows and that's it's something that's i know i can bless each one of us who listens to this podcast dang that's really cool thank you alex what what comes to your mind have you thought of anything since he asked that question um just talking about that feeling especially is something that has been really special to me i'm really more of like more than a logical thing i'm i think more emotionally and so just hearing about like healing through jesus christ and his atonement just is such a special thing to me i just always have been just i feel completed when i feel healed by jesus christ like my i feel very clouded or very i don't know just like a million things coming at once when i when i'm really stressed or when i'm emotionally just maybe unstable or those times are a lot harder in my life just thinking about jesus christ has really like thinking about how he's always there to comfort me there's like a scripture i love in john 14 18 i think it talks about he will not leave us comfortless yeah and that scripture i just think about the scripture and he's like okay he's there for me i can keep on going like even though it's hard to even feel that or think that like it said it says that in the scriptures so yeah i just hold on to that hope that's way cool i would say for me when i think about like how does the savior and his sacrifice help out with our emotional healing and health right i think about like what the definition of like true repentance is it's like changing through the savior's sacrifice and i think about how in my life when i've been really affected badly by my own decisions but also other people's decisions who really hurt me and for a long time i had held grudges or i had um, been very emotionally unstable when those topic of conversation would come up about the people who hurt me or um, so many ways that I would just like, you know, I held all that in because I was just so like upset that someone had done that to me, you know, and I just, I really, it was really hard for me to get over it because every time I would like let my guard down again, I would get really hurt by someone who had done something bad to me. And I remember like on my mission, it was the first time I'd ever received charity in my entire life for someone I never would have chosen to love because my whole life, I had just chosen to love who I chose to love, um, or I had loved those who I ch- choose to love, and I thought that was my charity, right? But I realized for the first time on a mission that there were a lot of people who I didn't want to love or be around, and I prayed for charity like a thousand times because of how hard it was, but also because I wanted to change so bad. I just was like, I don't want this hatred feeling in my heart. Like, I hate it. Like, I don't know why it's here, and Heavenly Father fulfills our desires, you know, eventually, And I remember when that charity came, I just thought like, holy crap, like somehow I love these people. So like, I didn't even know, I didn't even understand how I did. I was like, I don't know. And still to this day, I love them with all my heart, which I I still don't understand how I could love people that had hurt me. Um, Because in a worldly view of things, it kind of feels that we deserve to not like them. We deserve to hate them because they had done something bad to us. But the Savior's way is... We love everyone because we don't know what they're going through. We don't know why they're treating people certain ways. We don't, they're all children of God and they all have potential to become gods. Like think about it, we're walking around with potential goddess and goddesses and gods all every day. And they're a lot more sacred than we can understand to like hold grudges against them. Like it's like holding a grudge against someone who's imperfect doesn't make any sense because we're sent to earth to be imperfect. You know what I mean? So it just doesn't make sense. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about that, but. I do. Yeah. I, I loved everything Jackson shared. And that's so true. Is that, and that's, to me, it's such a fascinating balance is 
Absolutely, we're commanded to forgive all people. And really, the individual who's blessed most by forgiveness is the, is us, is the people that actually do it. And equally important is the boundary set as well. There are people in each of our lives who are toxic, who are abusive. It is not safe for us to be around. And having that true Christ-like charity, where it is true love, not being doormats to people, not letting people walk all over us, I find that fascinating in the scriptures. The Lord is extremely boundaried. And we think of it Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the epitome of charity, the author of charity. He's extremely boundaried. It was not okay what Judas did. It was not okay what the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing. And he was very clear is you need to stop this right now. I believe in you. You are a future God or goddess. And I expect you to be in the celestial kingdom, living with our eternal family forever but you need to knock this off, what you are doing. And that is true for each of our lives, that you can have the forgiveness, you can have the time you need to do to do to have emotional healing and to work through all this stuff you're working through. And it is not unchristlike or uncharitable to say, hey, if you're going to be in my precious circle where I let people in, there are expectations and boundaries set. And if you decide not to do that, I'm still going to forgive you. And forgiveness does not mean staying in abusive situations. And that's fascinating Yo. to me. Dude, I love that so much. I I freaking like testify and talk so much about, especially I would say like, it, specifically I talk a lot about how parents, like sometimes there's a misconception where honoring thy mother and thy father means letting them do whatever they want, acting like they're the perfect people. But as children and parents, we're all imperfect and parents will make mistakes and that's okay to admit they make mistakes. And it's also okay for children to, admit they make mistakes and honoring thy mother and father doesn't mean staying in a, an abusive relationship where maybe your mother and father are doing something like negative to you. Like I hear people all the time who their parents will tell them like, I'm, I'm the father and I'm the mother. That's why you have to do it. That's why this, why that, right? It's like, it's okay for parents to admit they're weak because it just even strengthens their relationship with the savior and their children. If they admit weakness and allow healing to say like, I'm so sorry, like, and that's them becoming humble too, telling their children, I'm your parent, but I'm still making mistakes and I hope you can forgive me. It's like such an equal, beautiful relationship to be able to do that with your children. And so I think that's so cool that you were talking about, like specifically not staying in abusive relationships. It's like the Savior didn't say like to be Christ-like, you allow yourself to be hurt and not do anything about it, but it's so different. He he did things about it all the time that he, he separated himself from people that were trying to kill him <laughs> you know what i mean like so it's the same way with us if people are trying to spiritually kill us mentally physically emotionally any way trying to hurt us that's okay to say you know i want to love you but I, I need to take care of myself you know what i mean like sweet man Did anyone have any last thoughts before we get into this conversion story sweet awesome well let's start with you just going into like how you grew up what your life was like just from the very beginning like um, even the premortal life. No, I'm just joking. But like from, from when you were like born till, you know, just how you grew up. Tell us about that a little bit. And you said you were Lutheran, so we can get into that too. Absolutely. I don't know much about the premortal life, so that's about as much I'll share about that. <laughs> <laughs> so well, first off, I want to say that any good you see or hear from me, just from my example, from my light, it's a reflection of Jesus Christ. My purpose here is to glorify Heavenly Father and to help you feel loved. I want you to know you're not an accident, you're not a mistake. Whatever you've done, as Elder Holland said, you have not sunk below 
the reach of the atonement of Jesus Christ. All three of us have felt the Savior's atonement pick us up when we've been down, whether from actions of others or our own choices. Everybody does things there's no, there's no excuses for, and that's why everybody needs a Savior. So any good you see in me or hear from me, look up, because that's it's the source. It's from heaven. So my story is... It really is centered on Jesus Christ. He is everywhere. He's the author and finisher of my story. He is the focal point of my story. And it begins in the Midwest. And my grandfather was born in in Nebraska, and he was raised in North Dakota. And he went to college in Carleton, which is a small college in Northfield, Minnesota. And and he was a history major, and he's now a physics professor. So that's an interesting story for another day. Yeah, cool. <laughs> and in a in his either freshman or sophomore year, he's in a history class, and he met my grandmother from I hope I get the town right, Schenectady, New York, a small town in New York. So I'm very small town. When I get out of law school, I want to buy some more cowboy boots and a cowboy hat and a truck, and so I listen to some Keith Urban. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Runs in the family and. And my grandparents met there, and you kind of give a background on on kind of the of the family situation. And I also want to recognize I don't know all the facts, so what I'm what I'm presenting may not be the entire story. But as best as I can tell, and what's appropriate to share here, there were some very opinionated people in my family, and of course not me. I'm never opinionated, of course, but <laughs> <laughs> and. My grandmother, and this is all coming from my mom's side, so on my maternal side, my grandmother, who met my grandfather in that history class, she was raised in an evangelical household, and when she was 18, she made the decision to join the Catholic Church. And her grandparents, who lived through the Depression, lived through World War II, when my grandmother made that decision, they effectively disowned her. I don't even think she was welcome at home for Christmas and and Easter and things like that. Wait, when she... Decided to go to the which church? The Catholic Church. Oh wow! Okay, okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, and she's now a Catholic nun in St. Louis, and and we'll get to that later. Cool. <laughs> and my grandfather was raised also in an evangelical home. However, he was not very religious. He wasn't atheist, but he this wasn't a priority for him. He was indifferent towards it. And they met. They got married, and they were part of the Catholic Church. Though my grandfather wasn't very enthusiastic about it. But he was not antagonistic either. And and then they got out of Carleton. Then my grandfather, he went to graduate school at the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana in the Big Ten. Go Badgers, though I'm from Wisconsin. But he got his PhD in physics. And he's now a physics professor at the University of Utah. It was his one and only job of his career. And he's been teaching full-time since John F. Kennedy was a sitting president of the United States. Wow. My grandfather got his PhD in physics. And he got hired at the University of Utah to be a physics professor. And and he was he's been teaching there and is in the early sixties. And soon after he got tenure. So if you're a, if you're a college professor and you basically the tenure is the key mark. If you get tenure, you're set. But it's also very competitive, very difficult. So it's not a trivial matter to get tenure. Soon after he got tenure, he got locked in on his career and he had a solid job where it's effectively impossible to get fired. He unfortunately made the decision to leave my grandmother and their three children. And I don't know all the facts behind it, but when my mother was nine years old, my grandfather left the family. And that divided the family. And you can imagine all the emotional trauma and abuse that caused. And 
And when he made that decision, he, my mother was raised by a single mom and he did, effectively had zero contact with her biological father. And unfortunately, that led to a lot of pain with, with the family. Here are two biological parents, my grandmother and grandfather. Between those two, there was nine marriages with different people. And Wow. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. And my, my mother, she was beautiful. She was extremely intelligent and deep, deep down, a very good person. However, not having a father in the household, she struggled with a very low self-esteem and low self-confidence. And the first person outside her immediate family of her two brothers and single mother who called her beautiful, unfortunately, was a very bad actor with nefarious intentions in high school. And the sole purpose that individual to call my mother beautiful was to break the law of chastity. And that led to immense pain and the consequences of not living the law of chastity. And my mother struggled immensely with that. And, and she went through a very difficult, painful, rebellious time from her teenage years to her early 20s and mid-20s. And there was just so much pain. And she ended up dropping out of high school. She was in and out of jail for petty crimes, shoplifting, things like that. And it was very, very dark. And when she was in her mid-20s, she somehow went to Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I don't know why Minnesota. And her mode of transportation was a motorcycle. And so I don't know <laughs> what was going on there. And if anyone's seen Transformers, if you know the actress Megan Fox, that describes my mother. Kind of that like, you know, really, you know, chip on the shoulder, really beautiful, just, Yo. you know, take on the world kind of. That was my mom. <laughs> no way. It's kind of cool. Okay, cool. <laughs> and a lot of blessings are in the Midwest for her. She ended up getting a really good job. She got her GED. She graduated from college and got a black belt in karate. And it gets even better. At a karate tournament, she met my father and... I was asked by friends if they fought in the tournament you know, t against each other. I was like, oh, no, that was not until after their marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and they had you. No, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> and they really fought when they had me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and no, they, my, my dad has a brown belt in karate and a black belt in judo. And so it's, we're a fighting family. We're a bunch of fighters. And, oh, wow. and my dad was he was a lawyer. He graduated from law school. In fact, he actually had two engagements before he met my mother. And the second one, the, the girl broke it off. And he was like, you know what? Blank marriage, blank this whole dating game. I'm just going <laughs> to be a single lawyer. And oh, yeah. and by the way, guys, I'm working on swearing. So most of the time I don't say blank. And I'm working on I'm on good behavior today. So. <laughs> that's good. That's good. And, and he was just coming out of that second engagement. And my mom, she had a string of just bad boyfriends and stuff and she had one rule and she met my dad she's like i'm only going to go on a date with my dad if he can pay rent that's it that's the only thing i'm going to say yes to somebody with hey. and and my dad definitely he could pay rent and he's a responsible <laughs> individual it was really remarkable actually it was the first male figure in my mother's life that actually treated her with the respect and the dignity and just charity that my mother is as a as a daughter of God, as a and my parents aren't religious, but they it was just the respect really blew my mother away. It's like, wow, this person doesn't just see me for, for superficial things, rather sees my potential, sees who I truly am, and makes me feel like I actually am a human being and that I have value and I matter. And 
from that first date, so they I think that later that night or the next day, they went to a, a very famous bar chain called TGI Fridays, and that was their first date. And I believe either from the first meeting of the karate tournament or the first date, it was six months later was their wedding day. So it was really Whoa. fast. And Just like a Utah day. marriage. It's like a Utah ah, marriage, wow. yeah. <laughs> Wait, so I have a question before you continue. So because your dad was the first like male figure who actually treated her like she should be treated as a daughter of God. Were there a lot of barriers and walls he had to break down? Like, was that, cause I'm sure that'd be really hard or was it really easy for her to just let go and let him, you know? Cause like, I feel like being in a relationship, being in a relationship with someone who has past trauma, they have a lot of walls that you have to break down by showing that you love her. You're there for the right reasons. Do you know if the, that had to happen? So my, the short answer is, I don't know, but since I'm a pre-law student, I'm interested in law and politics for my career. I never give short answers, so yeah. <laughs> I have to expound on that. But yeah, the bottom line is, I, I don't know, but this is my impression from what I've seen was, I think it was a combo. I, almost, I think of the Beyonce song, Halo, where it says that all the walls, the, I, I'm, effectively the lyrics go that all the walls this, the singer had that Beyonce is portraying in the song got broken down and she met the love of her life. And... And to Beyonce's fans, if I totally totally misquoted that, <laughs> don't judge me. <laughs> Forgiveness and grace on this podcast, yep. please. Yep. And if I do understand that right, uh, show more charity to me, I guess. But anyways, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what happened. It was a uh, it was a combo. My my mom really liked my dad, and he was such a good individual, and she could sense that. You, know, you can sense when you're around good people, you just feel it. It's nothing they say. It's nothing. Actions speak louder than words, and so you just know when somebody lives with integrity and acts with integrity. And my dad does do that, especially with all of her past people who treat her terribly. She knows the difference. I bet you know, like in, encountering someone who really was a good person was probably like, well, like I can tell the difference between all these other guys. You know what I mean? I love that, and that's actually something I want to say to the audience here is. When you go through life, each of us has our own unique trials, and. Often, if you go on the news, you go on social media, people really want to say, oh, how negative that is, and just really just want to feed the fires of complaint. And now I'm not saying complain. You healthily vent and do that for your emotional health. Do that, and we'll honor you for that. But I also add, your trauma could be the very key to your dreams. We're like, just like Jackson mentioned, all the, all the hell my mother went through prepared her to have a successful marriage and all the pain and all the abuse and all the stuff that she went through, just as Jackson was saying, is she knew a good man when she met one because she had so much abuse. And so on for you in this podcast, and that's that's what Jesus Christ taught me, and that's what we're gonna that's what I'm gonna share and what we're gonna share together as a as a united three team is the Savior helps each one of us learn that and he uses our broken pieces for amazing things. And that's what my mother did, and that's how she could tell my dad was a real man who actually would treat her like a like a woman should be treated. That's so cool. I think we've talked about this on the podcast many times, but we believe here on the Convergence Christ podcast that suffering is a blessing, not a curse. And we believe through suffering, we can become more like our Savior and better people and have the Spirit in our life and be 10 times happier. And it's weird because you think about Joseph Smith and Liberty Jail when he was suffering so much and he was like, God, where are you? And he was like, are you greater than the savior? Like he's done, even if he told Joseph, even if you go through the depths of hell and you're swallowed up by every terrible thing you could think of, it'll be for your good. 
And I, I often really like reflect on that and realize how every the reason I'm here today where I'm trying to do everything I can for the Savior and for God and have the Holy Spirit in my life is because of facing so many hard things to realize I need to rely 100% on the Savior. And when I do that, I grow immensely in, in every way I can think of. And my happiness is skyrocketed. And so we totally believe suffering is a blessing. I believe suffering is a blessing. And we talk about it a lot on the podcast. But so then going from when they went to TGI Fridays, what what happened? Wait, did, you didn't say what happened, did you? Uh, no, they just... That it just was a trajectory path to marriage. And cool. They got married soon after, and there was just a lot of past trauma because back in that time there wasn't a huge focus on counseling and emotional healing, and that's why I feel strongly about that question we asked at the outset of this podcast was how the Savior's atonement applies to emotional healing. Emotional health and mental health is very real today. It's real in our society. I'm really grateful that our society has a lot of empathy. And also, I want to give a huge thank you to members of the LGBTQIA plus community. You're teaching all of us more how to have empathy and charity to others who are hurting, who are in pain, who are going through stuff. Our society is better because you're in it. And I just know as someone that has a, a mother who had just unspeakable trauma done to her and unspeakable pain, fight through that. I saw her go through so much adversity and have to fight through that without the help of professional counseling. I just want to say thank you to everybody who's hurting, who's teaching all of us to have more charity to others. My mother, she was a valiant wife and mother. She did the absolute best she could. With all the pain she had, it was remarkable all the good that she was able to do. With that said, there was also a lot of just pain in the family because and anyone that's been through emotional abuse, you get it. Triggers come out of nowhere. You work through something. Even if you go to a counselor, you put something to rest and then bam, out of nowhere. Whether it was my dad's parents coming over or through different events at school, she'd see grandparents come to games and she'd be like, great. That's just another reminder that my own parents don't even care enough to come to my kids and stuff. And like, you know, stuff like that happened yeah. all the time. And and she was so strong, she wouldn't go to therapy or anything like that. And so there's just a lot of pain in the family, and there's a lot of contention, a lot of divisive behavior. And through no fault of anyone involved, it was just a really difficult time and difficult part of healing. And it's also very limited. We didn't have a very religious home. We didn't read the Bible together. We did go to the Lutheran church twice a year on Christmas and Easter. Mm. However, we didn't have a relationship. And that's all the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints is. It's we. It's a relationship. The family proclamation the church put out in the early late 90s, the first word is we. And, and the reason the first word is we in that proclamation is because Heavenly Father is with you. He's with me. He's with us. He's with every single child. And that's what family's about. You have each other's backs. And that's why we's the first word in that. And that's... And family is spelled W-E, we. And, and unfortunately, my family didn't have Jesus Christ in it. And so we didn't have that healing aspect. And there's a lot of just stuff that would happen. And 
I wasn't able to have a real real rock with my family. Like I wouldn't really go to my parents when I was going through adversity. I'd try and be Superman and do everything myself. And and then growing up in that household, not having a religious family, and with kind of the emotional pain and trauma that my parents are going through, I didn't really have somebody I can lean on myself through them. And my and in high school, and my parents, they're they're of the world. That's all they knew, and so. Love is very conditional in my home, and if I succeeded at sports and at, or at school, I was on top of the world, I was the best man in the United States, but if I failed at those, I really felt that I was worthless. And so my self-confidence, my self-esteem, my hope, everything was tied to having to be flawless, having to be perfect in, in these worldly endeavors. And I love baseball. And I'm working on, you know, not being obsessed about it. I'm a huge baseball fan. <laughs> Some stuff I love that you're saying that came to my mind was one that this is this whole life's about relationships. And yesterday I was at state conference and our state president said relationships are the key to our personal growth towards the Savior. And it made sense to me because every, if we don't have relationships, including with those loved ones around us, but mostly with the Savior and with the spirit and with God, if we don't have those, there's not going to be a lot of growth. Um, and one thing I love that you're saying too, is that I felt like in my, my high school days, my self-worth was dependent on my sporting too, as well. And my favorite quote of all time, literally not one has topped it is by Hiram Smith. And he says, if your self-worth is dependent on anything other than your relationship with Jesus Christ, then you're in big trouble. And I love, I think that is so profound. I think anyone listening in the world can understand that. They can try to fulfill their human needs with anything. They can, they can try that hollow substitute President Nelson talks about, about anything worldly, sex, drugs, alcohol, um, you know, gaming, addiction, like anything you can think of will not fulfill your human needs other than your relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, for example, he was talking about how he didn't want to be too obsessed with sports because if his self-worth was dependent on that, then he'd just be upset all the time. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't be happy because it would be a hollow substitute of the blessed and happy state of those who love me and keep my commandments. Right. And so um, I just wanted to say that just because I thought that was important, but I love that. I was, yeah. And so now at this time in my life, this is in the around 2012, 2013, roughly going into high school and Love baseball. I actually, I had a goal my senior year. I wanted to get a Division One baseball scholarship. I wanted to get on 36 on the ACT. Uh, my dream was to play at Stanford University, be on the baseball team. And I was going for that. It's giving it my all. And my parents also were very persuasive and really trying to push me to achieve that and really have a high level and really seeking success and have a high standard of, of excellence. Unfortunately, well, let me rephrase that. Fortunately, God blessed me with a great gift, and that was failure. My senior year, I didn't get a 36 on the ACT. I didn't get a single Division One baseball scholarship, and I was crushed. Also, my parents' esteem of me was also crushed as well. I did not have anyone to turn to, really. My parents were upset. I didn't have a church family to turn to. And also in middle school, high school, I also suffered from bullying as well. And I believe that's a very real problem in our society, almost an epidemic. And I really want to do something with that in my adult years. I'm an adult now, in my years now. Really fight against the epidemic of bullying in all public schools, private schools, everywhere. 
And between the bullying at school and then not having a church family, not having a real family, I didn't have anyone to turn to. And by the Lord's grace, my I got accepted into the University of Utah. My grandfather's a physics professor there, like I said earlier. He reached out to me around my sophomore year of high school, and he joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints 25 years ago. What? He did, yeah. In Utah? In Utah. No way. Okay, keep going. That's crazy. It gets even more better. It gets even better. He joined after 40 years in the, as a physics professor after four marriages, and it was the least likely individual you think to be a... a a convert to the church and he joined and wow. he actually did a data test of the doctrine and covenants and all the other prophecies that the Lord gave. And he, in a, in a typical physics professor's way, he went through all the prophecies from the beginning of this dispensation and the sacred grove and upstate New York, when the heavenly father and the savior appeared to the prophet Joseph Smith, who I testify as a prophet of God, that, Every prophecy from then till today, and my grandfather concluded two things. One, either their prophecies haven't been fulfilled yet, or they're true. They have been fulfilled. And he's like, I don't know how this all works, but he joined the church off of that. No way. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yep. What? Okay, okay. So so you came to Utah, um, University of Utah. So then from then, what happened? Like when... When was the first time you had encountered the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? So, what first happened was I was so broken that all the, you know, if, for anyone that served a mission, anyone that hasn't served a mission, missionaries get these questions, at least in my mission we got, we got them. It was like the deep questions of the soul, the questions of life. They're like, you know, what's my purpose here in life? What am I doing here? Does God know me? Does God love me? I mean, why am I here? All those questions I had. <laughs> and, yeah. And it was July of 2016. Because you had not achieved what you thought you wanted to in high school, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I also was so broken. I was desperate. I, I was looking for anything that would give me meaning in life. And not just the weekend meaning, like, oh, I saw this uplifting movie, so I'm on cloud nine for a weekend. Yeah. And then life comes again Monday morning. I was looking for something real. And so I type in Jesus Christ on YouTube. And kind of, honestly, the thought was, if this doesn't work, I have nothing left. And so, like, this, I'm, I need something. And, and so I type in that name. And the first video that comes up is of Nick Vujicic. For anybody, and I was wondering, do any of you guys know who Nick Vujicic is? No, who's that? He's a, do you, do you know him, Alex? He's a Christian evangelical speaker, and he also is an inspirational speaker. And he was born with a birth defect. He was born without any arms or legs. Whoa, okay. I, I think I've seen him before, yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. And he was born in Australia. His family are devout evangelical Christians, really good people, really supportive Supportive in all ways, helping him do well in school and helping him with the emotional development, helping him with spiritual development. Just a really awesome family. Being born with a birth defect, you can imagine all the adversity that brings. Moreover, he went to public schools. So yes, he had an extremely loving family. He also suffered like I did from bullying. And you can imagine what all the students would tell him. They would say things such as, you'll never have a career. 
you'll always be a burden on your family. You'll never achieve anything. You'll never get married. You'll never be a father. You're always going to be a burden on everybody in your life. The bullying was vicious. I know that viciousness well. I suspect there's one of you listening to this who feels everything I just shared, who feels that viciousness, feels that hopelessness. I've been there too. And Nick Vujicic had that. And when he was nine years old, the bullying was so bad, he tried to commit suicide. He told his dad to place him in three feet of bathwater and just leave him alone. He just wanted to be alone for a minute. Vujicic's plan was to, once his father left, turn himself over and drown himself in the bathwater. He couldn't take the bullying anymore. He was tired of feeling every single day and being reminded of his deepest fears that he was going to be a burden to everybody and all these dreams he hoped for and his parents kept telling him. The lies of the darkness, and I emphasize lie, the lies of the darkness were starting to appear more real. It's amazing how lies do that, isn't it? They seem so much more bigger and grander and more persuasive than they actually are. And they're nothing. Lies are nothing. It was the thought of his parents at his gravesite that stopped him. In other words, the love of his parents stopped that man from ending his life. Never, ever underestimate the power of love. I already feel Jackson and Alex are experts at this, showing charity and love to other people, encouraging people, seeing what they can become. And you listening to this, and especially if there's anyone listening to this being like, okay, I feel the truth of what this man's saying, but I haven't been through bullying. My family's awesome. I haven't had that much adversity. Please be that source of love because someone that's hurting needs that. That love, and just like Jackson was saying about relationships, the world needs more love. And I'm not talking just the, you know, the quick, I love you at the end of church, you know, going to go into our lives. I want to see you seven days later. No, it is at 2 a.m. If you need a friend and everything seems bad, that kind of love. I'm talking just listening to somebody. I'm talking just showing that somebody matters and that they have value. Like my dad showed my mom that you're an actual human being that has value. The, the world needs that kind of love, that connection, that relationship. And it saved Nick Vujicic's life. Nick Vujicic, as soon as he had that vision in his head, that thought of his parents, and that really not just thought, but that feel, that feel of the love of his parents, he turned himself over and it's like, you know what? I feel nothing. I don't feel like I have a reason. I do have a reason to fight, actually, and that is the love of my parents. And so he kept going. Did the bullying stop? No. Did the his fears go away instantaneously? No. Did the adversity go away? No. So when you come to Christ, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden your life is perfect now and you don't have any problems and midterms and final exams and bosses are nice. Like It doesn't, doesn't mean that all of a sudden life's perfect. But it gives you the strength to withstand anything, and that's where true happiness comes from. So did you listen to his story on YouTube? And then is that like the first step you took towards really having a relationship with the Savior, do you think? Exactly, yeah. Because Nick Vujicic went on, and I'm watching this on YouTube, that summer night, July 2016. And Nick Vujicic, he went on, and he shared how the bullying exacerbated but his parents' love was never-ending. And when he was 15 years old, Wojcic went to a Bible study. And at the Bible study, they were studying the, how the Savior 
healed a man who was born blind. It was in John chapter 9. And the story, Jesus Christ and his disciples were walking along the road, and they passed a man born, who was born blind. And his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Because at that time in the Jewish church, it was taught that any adversity you have in your life, any trials, anything negative, is as a result of either your sin or your parents' sin. Hence, mm. his disciples asked him, who did this? What individual sin to cause this man to be born blind? And the Savior responded in verse 3 by saying, Neither did he sin nor his parents sin, but rather, quote, So the works of God should be made manifest through him, close quote. And that man gave his broken pieces to Christ. And Jesus took that brokenness. He restored that individual's sight. And that individual went on to be a fearless missionary who never denied the Savior henceforth. And Nick Vujicic realized that he could give his brokenness. And that when we give our broken pieces to the Savior, he can take them and make them beautiful. And Nick Vujicic went on to not just graduate from middle school or high school, graduate from college. He has a little foot, even though he doesn't have any arms and legs, he has a little foot. He can type 40 words a minute with that. Whoa. He's a best-selling author. He's an evangelical speaker who makes enough money to support his family. And he's married with four kids. What wow. the? Wow. That's amazing. That's so amazing. As soon as I heard that story, I got down on my knees. I felt something I never felt before in my life. And guys, listen to this podcast, and, and girls, listen to this podcast. I was so broken. I failed at baseball. I failed at school. I was bullied in middle school, high school. I didn't have a family I can go to. I didn't have a church family I could go to. I had nothing. And when I heard that Jesus Christ could take my brokenness, all my bullying, all my failures, all my pain, all just everything going on, and he could take them and make them beautiful, gave my life. I gave my life to Christ that night. And ever since then, I have so much happiness and joy in my life. Every day I feel it. And, and I started looking for the true church after that because uh, Jesus Christ became everything to me. And... I was in the middle of Salt Lake City, and so, of course, the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints is here. And I would go to four hours of church at on every Sunday, and I was trying to find the right right church. Or, Just of different churches? Of different churches, oh, okay. yeah. Cool. Yeah. And before you continue, did you think there was a true church? Like, after you had felt that feeling and prayed, did you think, like, okay, there's got to be a true church on earth? Or were you, were you more like, I got to start going to a church? It was more, I'd say neither. The real thought was, I just felt the love of Christ and really the love of anything, true love, like the real true love. I felt that and I knew the source of that love is Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father. And from that is, they love me, so I'm going to love them. And I really didn't have thought of the true church as more like, this is my whole life hmm. and I'll go anywhere to find whatever would get me closest to them. And kind of that naturally developed into, okay, there's got to be a true church somewhere. Okay, I see. Cool. Uh-huh. Awesome. Yeah, I, I love that, like, perspective that you had of, like, I just want to get and feel what I've just felt and get closer to what I've just felt, and whatever can get me the closest to the Savior, I'm going to go find it. I like that. It's a really cool way to look at it. Because I think instead of, like, so there's this quote from the past general conference um, that he said, I was more worried about getting into heaven than living with my heavenly father. 
And I think that is so cool because if we look at a perspective like it's and it's a one-on-one relationship with our Savior, with Heavenly Father. And it's like, it's like we're going to be speaking to them just like we're speaking now. And we love them and we're best friends with them and they've done everything for us rather than these strict rules that will get us into heaven, right? And I think that's so cool that you felt that, that you wanted to find what was going to give you a better relationship with your Savior rather than like anything to do with like following rules or going to a specific church because they have certain rules. It's like you just wanted to get closer to Jesus Christ. And I, I think naturally if those who are listening have that mentality of I just want to get closer to Jesus Christ and strengthen my relationship with them, whatever will get me there, I want to find it. I think the Lord will naturally provide ways for you to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because we believe it's Jesus Christ's church on earth and that's the closest way you can get to them. That's probably how you were led here, right? So Yeah. yeah. Amen. I I love that quote. Yeah. I was more worried about getting to heaven as opposed to being with Heavenly Father and the Savior. I, I remember I was watching this YouTube ad. You know those ads, you know, watch a video and have these fifteen second ads and and it was it was with the comedian Steve Martin. And he was leading this like class, like he's trying to help anyone that's aspiring to be a comedian or actor. And he had all these students that were around the table. And this is like a snippet of the little, little preview of the class. And and Steve Martin was saying, you know, I keep getting asked by these people that want to get have a career as a comedian or an actor and to try and break into the industry. And they keep telling me, yeah, how do I find the agent? How do I make these connections? How do I do this and this and that? And Martin's like, I want to tell everybody, slow down and think about how can I be funny? Right? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's like the that's the trait. It's like, hey, and that's kind of like I, just like Jackson saying. That's how I approached my relationship with Christ. I wasn't thinking, true church. What's the logical analysis of this? It was more, I love Father. I love the Savior. How do I get closer to them? I also recognize my grandfather's a physics professor. I love him. He helped me come closer to Christ. For those that want to have more of a logical view of it. Looking at it through that lens of building a relationship with somebody, and picture it as if you're trying to have, like, you want to build a relationship with your brother, right? If you're trying to, like, approach, okay, I want the church, to, okay, what's the logical analysis of this? Let's get all the facts and do a data test of this. And you probably, do you do that with your brother? It's like, okay, I want to build a relationship, you know, it's the logical. No, it's kind of like feeling it's like, oh, he likes baseball. Let's go to a baseball game together. Like, you do stuff together. And that's the same with finding the true church. You do stuff with Father, do stuff with Savior. And that's church, praying, reading, going to the temple, really simple. But anyways, though, back, back to my story is, you know, it's after that, I, so I, July 2016, I became converted to Jesus Christ. And from from that, just wanting to grow closer and build that relationship, I was looking all anywhere I could find to find the true church. How soon, how soon after the YouTube experience with that, one um, evangelical pastor did you go to the LDS church? Like how long time in between that? It was roughly only a few weeks. It was very short. Oh, cool. Okay. Just because you were, after that point, you were trying so many churches just to see how it felt. Correct. Cool. I My first church I went to was down in American Fork by Provo because my grandfather, he, you know, he didn't, raise any kids of his own basically and so he called my 
a former student of his down in the Provo area. He's like, hey, I have a grandson. He wants to come to church. That's awesome. But everyone in my ward looks like me. Aren't there student wards? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm in the middle of Salt Lake City. There's probably a million YSA wards in the valley. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's funny. So I go down to Provo, dressed like a cowboy, shirt probably similar to this. And in the middle of Provo, Utah, everyone has white shirts, ties, suits, the whole nine yards. This is yeah. back when we had three hours of church. Oh, okay. Where the elders corn president told me, if there's anyone new, stand up and introduce yourself. So I stood up and said, yeah. My name's Derek Renicky, and a fun fact about me, this is my first time in LDS building. Imagine the reaction in Provo, Utah when I said that. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Everyone's like, how How was that first Sunday? Like, what was the experience like? Like, did you like it? Did it feel good? Like, I liked it. It didn't feel anything extraordinary. It just felt, you know, it's like the best way I can describe it, I almost felt like I was going to... The family some I didn't have where what I mean by that, if anyone like if you guys have been, whether it's going on a long trip somewhere or being away from college or going on a mission or whatever it is, and you that first time coming back to like your parents' living room, you just like kind of relax and your shoulders drop down, you don't have to be somebody anymore, you just be Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I felt like. Though I couldn't put where I, if you would have asked me that day, like that, you know, five minutes after church ended. I wouldn't have said anything. I've been like, it's good. Like, I didn't have like, I didn't have the clouds open up and a Morgan Freeman voice say, "This is true." You know, I didn't have that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't have anything big happen, but it, it just felt just felt good. And I looked around for different churches, and it was and my mother. She she was fighting cancer when around when all this was playing out in my life. We got the final diagnosis after she was in remission for five years. She was so strong. And by the final diagnosis, meaning there's nothing more we can do. We've tried everything with chemotherapy, radiation, the whole nine yards, and nothing was working. And so she was giving just a few months to live. And that's when the final straw was, okay, no longer social. It wasn't really social, but it was a little bit. It was more, I got to make a decision now. Someone I love's on her deathbed. And I'm not just going to sit on the fence anymore. I can't sit on the fence forever. This is where the rubber hits the road. And at that time, the aforementioned Kevin Tingey sent me a text, and he asked if I could help fix the roof at a bishopric member's house. I told you guys I'm working on swearing. Don't judge me for that. Maybe you should judge me a little bit. But And <laughs> I'm pretty sure I texted him saying, what the blank is a bishopric member? And I don't think I said blank. <laughs> I <have> no idea. <laughs> Even to this day, I'm not quite sure what it is. But... So, you know, one of the helpers of the bishop, and he, so I go, well, we go, and we fix the roof. After we finished the roof, the wife of that bishopric member asked all of us who were there helping to come in and get breakfast. I take one step into that home, and I felt the power of God in that home, the peace of the Holy Spirit. There was this Christus, the statue of our Savior, on the mantle. They had pictures of their family on the wall. Very first thought was, who wouldn't want this? This is what Jesus Christ offers you, offers everybody, a Christ-centered family. So when your kids fail in a sport, or when work is hard, or when your boss is being that annoying boss nobody wants, or whatever it is you're going through in life, that peace and that hope, 
Yeah, you may forget if you go to a bar for a weekend or if your sports team does well. You may feel good. Maybe for a couple of weeks, maybe even a year, you might feel good. But what I found in that home was a family who went through hell, who went through adversity, who went through all the pain that life brings, who could relate when I say, you know what? My mom did not have a good life. She did not have, she had all this adversity and she's dying of cancer right now. And that family could say, my family went through that too. And here is hope. Here is the happiness and the peace where one, you're going to see her again. And two, whatever you face in life, I tell you what that family was. It was what a loving father told his son in the Book of Mormon. In Helaman chapter 5, verse 12, the father says, quote, And now, my son, to remember, remember, that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation. That when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts and the whirlwinds, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall have no power over you, to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe because of the rock upon which you are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fall, close quote. That family is built on that rock, guys, and I felt it. And that day I was like, who are the missionaries serving in our ward? I am all in. I'm going to find out right now because that was truth, what I felt in that home. And more importantly than truth, that was love. I spent most of my life not feeling that. And the only person that had me feel that way was Jesus. I'm going to do anything I can to find out what does that family have. And it was the Savior. And I met with the missionaries. Ten months later, I was baptized. I went on a mission and proclaimed this incredible news. And I've been back for about two years now. And my life has so much joy because of Jesus Christ, because of what he felt for me and what I felt that he felt for me is why I'm filled with joy. So tell me about why it took 10 months for you to be baptized with meeting with the missionaries. Isaiah. Isaiah has a great teaching in chapter 55. And effectively he says, as the skies are higher than the heavens, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Such a good scripture. Yeah. It's amazing. And I, you know, I, I went out on my mission and I would meet people that would take a while. I knew I could feel that they felt the church was true and they knew it, but they, for higher reasons, they wouldn't go at this time. They wouldn't make that plunge. And I was that way. I actually sent an email to one of the sisters who taught me and I apologized. I was like, Hey, I'm meeting somebody in my first year who is just like me. And that is, (laughs) (laughs) so, and I, that's awesome. (laughs) What well, did she reply? She did. <laughs> That's awesome. She's probably it's okay. Yep, yep. With a lot of empathy and yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> cool. So you just were kind of stubborn or what? Oh, oh, I'm never stubborn, guy. My my brother Jesse would tell you I'm the never stubborn at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little bit of that. I, yeah, a little stubborn. Also, there is God's timing is so perfect. Yep. And people watching this, you know what I mean. You guys get it. It's so, I tell you, the missionary who, by the Lord's grace, who I train, anyone that's not familiar with missions, when you start out, you have a trainer your first 12 weeks just to show you the ropes and uh, show you that everyone else is trying to figure this out. It's going crazy like you are inside. So yeah. And that missionary, his name's Ethan Hershey. I tell you, the Hershey family is a celestial family centered on Christ. 
they've become 2 a.m. friends to me. I love them. I love them. I love them. If I would have got baptized two weeks after that video with Nick Vujicic, or even two weeks after that incredible experience with the family, I likely would not have met the Hershey family. In fact, even two weeks from today, October 21st, almost like two weeks from almost in 12 days, I'm going to be in Wisconsin. And by the Lord's dear grace, I have the honor to actually do the marriage ceremony of Jared Skildum and Mary Skildum. And Jared and Mary, in my first area in Wisconsin, I served during COVID. And so I was six months in Peru, six weeks home, and then and then a year and a half in the blessed state of Wisconsin, my home state. I love being a missionary where I came from. Jared and Mary, they both came back home to Jesus Christ. And it was all glory to God. My companion and I, including Ethan Hershey, we helped them come back. And if I would have got baptized just two weeks after any of those you know, previously mentioned experiences, likely would not have met Ethan, likely would not have met Jared and Mary and so many others. And I, I needed that time. And for you, if, if you're watching this and you need time, you feel it's true, let me tell you something that was the final straw for me. Because I want to be careful. You don't want to procrastinate. When you feel truth, you need to act on it. I also, At the same time, there's also the right time. And don't and if someone you love, and you're listening to this, and someone you love you wish would come back to church or whatever, you know, maybe if it's just come back to your family, maybe, maybe you know, maybe, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, you, there's, timing is everything. Also, I watched the videos, I was in church, and this was the final straw where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm officially getting baptized. And this is late July 2018, I got baptized August 4th, so late July it was a video of President Eyring, Henry B. Eyring, second counselor in the first presidency of the church. And he said, beware of someday. Do not procrastinate what mm. you know you need to do today for tomorrow. And that was the final straw where, and part of that also, what took me a while is letting fear dictate my life. I was giving fear way too much. Fear is nothing. Fear is a lie. Fear is a liar. And I was letting fear fake me for too long and after that video it's like you know what i know it's true i know all this is true i know god's a loving father i know jesus christ's atonement heals and forgives everything that i've done i know the book of mormon makes me feel god's love more than anything that's what it means by the truest book on earth that's what the prophet joseph smith meant in other words there's no other thing in life that'll make you feel god's love more then that book and its teachings, because reading that book every day will make your family stronger, bless your life, will help you grow closer to Christ. It'll give you a power that's undeniable. And everybody who really cares about you would feel that when you interact with them. And that was the final straw was beware of someday. And I no longer was letting fear do anything in my life after that point. That's so cool, dude. Do you know the worship song, Fear is a Liar? listen to that this morning i love that song <laughs> <laughs> that's why I, I thought of it when you said fear is a liar i was like that song's so good for those who are listening go go search for that song it's good but that's so cool dude like i think they were like so so do you think during that 10 months of not being baptized was it 10 right yeah of not being baptized did you feel that no well you already answered that you said that like it was it was God's timing perfectly because you were able to meet those people. I think the same thing with my life. I think if I wouldn't have gone through 
a period of being really far away from God, I wouldn't have met the people on my mission that literally have changed my life for eternity now because of, it, it, I felt it was meant to be. I felt it was ordained that I met these certain people and um, it was just too too crazy to be a coincidence, too perfect and the feelings I felt in my heart of these people that I met and that were put into my life, um, it was just too, too amazing. You know what I mean? It was too crazy to say that this wasn't perfectly exactly what God had intended for me to experience. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was, it was pretty amazing. So let's go to your, let's go to your mission and you don't have to um, go too deep into it because missions are long and we have crazy experiences every day as missionaries. But um, what were some key experiences on your mission that even like further, like, like built that into your heart that this was the true church on earth? Like we're, what, what are a couple experiences you experienced? You're like, whoa, like this is real. Like I already knew it was real, but now it's even realer. Like, Oh yes. A thousand times over, a million times over. I was only a member a year when I left on my mission. Right after your endowment? Right after my endowment. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's awesome. In the Salt Lake temple before it was being close. Oh, cool. That's awesome. <laughs> cool. Great time. Wow. And guess who was my escort in the temple? Who? My grandfather, the oh. physics professor. No way. <laughs> That's so... Okay, wait, wait. Okay, I forgot about this. I wanted to ask you about this. Before you get into your mission stories, how was, like, I would say forgiving your grandfather, but also being able to develop a relationship with him because you knew he had left your mom and caused a lot of problems. Like, how was how was that? Were, 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 were there any problems? Phenomenal question. I'll just say this. When I said at the outset of this podcast that forgiveness and Christ-like charity comes with boundaries, everybody sincerely listening could feel the power of what I said there. The reason you could feel the power of it was, one, I'm an imperfect man trying to do my best to follow Christ, to become like God, and to love as they love each one of us. Also, I lived it. My dear good friend, the previously mentioned Jared Skildum, taught me there's a difference between a missionary who teaches scriptures read and a missionary who teaches scriptures lived. Hmm. That truth that I shared about forgiveness is scriptures lived. Do you think that, I mean, I'm assuming the short answer is that just somehow, some way through the Savior's atonement and through the Heavenly Father's love, you were able to do those things? That's a great question. Honestly, I, I'm not sure the best way to answer it. I, I would say for the purposes here, I, I would just say there's forgiveness with boundaries. There's charity with boundaries. And that emotional healing is a process. That's the best way I can answer that. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful that you're able or willing to explore that question and thought. So thank you for doing that. So let's get back to your mission story. So what were a couple experiences where you were like, oh my golly, like this work is 
the most important thing we could be doing right now? Like when, when did you experience that? I experienced that before I even left on my mission, before I put mission papers in around that time, roughly was I had the thought, I hope and pray in my life. If I was ever in a situation or whatever life path the Lord took me on, if I never even knew and heard of the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, that I know is the true church. I know it. Not just believe, I know it. That I would still serve a mission. I would still be set apart. If we didn't have this blessing of an organized ministerial clergy that would just go on ministerial effort and team to go for a year and a half or two years, whatever your situation is, that I would still do it. That I would still be preaching the gospel and I would still be doing this. And then I thank God that we have this gift. Yeah. That we have this missionary organization. I mean, think of how amazing that is. Guys, in no other church we have they have this to this extent. Yeah, you may build a home in Tijuana, Mexico, or you may go to, yeah. you know, Africa and you know, build homes for a week. And that's incredible. I'm not knocking that. I'm not trying to dismiss Tijuana or Africa or anybody. <laughs> yeah. But it's not the same. Not even close. Not even not close. even close. Like our missionary organization is exactly what I would picture the Lord's church on earth to have. I mean, it is so prevalent in the New Testament of the Savior preaching we need missionaries about spreading the gospel to the earth, to literally everyone. And so for those who are listening or those who are maybe non-members of the church, I would say, where is that part of the fruit fruits of his gospel? Because that that was taught very clearly by the Savior that we need missionaries. And he he sent missionaries all the time to go and preach. And he even said that after he had he had died that they needed to go and preach unto the Gentiles. And then even after his resurrection, he said, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, which he visited America and even told the um, Nephites, the ancient inhabitants of the Americas, that I have even more people, everyone around the world. I'm going to go tell them about this because everyone needs the opportunity to have this gospel. And that is your job as my disciples to go and share it with them. So like just going off that point, I, I believe that 1000% that, this is what I would picture the Lord's church on earth to be like of volunteer missionaries who are paying to go preach love and happiness and peace. And we're not being paid like every other, even tiny missionary organization in any other church, right? I mean, most times pastors and ministers and those who do missionary work are paid. Um, and, Sometimes there's like those humanitarian trips where we pay, but like he said, it's like a two week missionary trip. Like I remember on my mission, I would, <laughs> I would talk to people and like we're saying, we're not talking bad about this, but this is just facts of the, the differences of our church and other churches. I would talk to people who were in other faiths and we would talk, oh, we're missionaries. We do this. And they're like, oh yes, that's awesome. I went on a mission um, to like Cancun, Mexico or like just random places. And they're like, yeah, for two weeks we like did group activities together and like although that is amazing and probably very faith building a disciple of jesus christ serving a mission of what a real mission is i believe to jesus christ compared to like all these humanitarian trips are just night and day like i wish i i don't think they understand that some of the people who hear that we are missionaries they think of their like humanitarian trips or other church activities that they call mi missions right and so um I just love that you brought that up. But yeah, continue what you're talking about. Absolutely. And 
Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. I was going to say to the audience, we're 2 a.m. disciples. We're disciples everywhere. We're disciples that build relationships with people. We're disciples that really, we don't just build things. We build people. We lift people. Oh, that's what I want to get to. So um, you were, you're talking about, you always felt this way before even, even your mission, you just, even without this amazing organization of missionary work, you, you would have been doing it anyway, which I love that. I a hundred percent agree. So beyond that point though, when you did go on your mission and you probably realized this the whole time you gave your life to Jesus Christ, but what were some experiences where you were like, like this, this is amazing. Like God's timing's perfect. Like what were some impact, impactful experiences on your mission? Like the biggest impactful ones to you. And, and if you're comfortable to share too. Oh, always comfortable to share this. Ah, uh, man, love that. So, amazing question, amazing question, Jackson. I so I well, before I left on my mission, I believed the church was true. I couldn't say I know it, but I believed it. I read enough in the Book of Mormon to know. I do not understand how any man can make this. Therefore, I believe a, this is from God. I grew up in Wisconsin, and I also was very worldly growing up. I was, that was, I was in it. I, I was worldly as much as a person can be worldly. Basically, that was, that was my life. That's how I grew up. And I had Facebook, and you know, I could be an active member of the church without showing on social media and without having my friends and family really know in Wisconsin, and get away with it. I could have just had that kind of double life in a way. But then when I left on a mission, and eventually each one of us has to come to this point eventually, whether you go on a mission or not, it's your journey is going to somehow get to that time of choosing, as Ronald Reagan put it. It's where you got to decide, are you, where are you? Are you all in or are you all out? Because there's no in-between. Fence sitters, they're really good on a non-windy day. But when wind comes, and we all have winds in life. And this, to me, this is when my storm was coming, was am I all in or not? I'm leaning towards being all in, but... Time for choosing. And I was, and I chose to, to be all in with this. So I went, went on a mission, but I still believed. I still had all those natural fears that a healthy human would have. You know, that's, you know, I just, I'd have that and I was going. And this step where I knew the church was true, and one of those just highlight, you know, if it was a highlight reel, this would be one of the highest highlights. I was with, a, I was with my companion, one of the greatest disciples of this dispensation, incredible person, Claudio Monroy from Calla, Peru. Amazing person, I mean, great disciple and even better human being. And we all know those types of types of angels that we have in our lives. And we're out one of those days, you know, all missionaries know it. All our setup appointments, everyone canceled. And so it's about 6.30 or so. So we're just tracking the whole night, you know, <laughs> knocking as many doors as we can. And this would have been right after my training. So it would have been, at this point, I was a member only for about 15 or so months, roughly less than a year and a half. I'm still still having those thoughts. Wait a minute, I was on the other side of this. I was the one the missionaries were meeting with. Now I'm the missionary doing that. So awesome. <laughs> and we were just going and it's at night in Peru and South America. You know, it's a little bit different because the equator and stuff. And that part of Peru, every night without fail at 7 o'clock, like, like clockwork, 7 p.m. the sun went down. So it's around 8.30 or so at night. Sun's been down for a while. And we have about 30 more minutes left before before we end it for the night. And we pass in that area close to our apartment. They have the big Catholic cathedral. 
and we'd walk by it every day. And a few blocks away, you know, kind of towards the really more busier parts of the street in town, they had all different evangelical churches. And as we're walking by there that night, all our appointments fell through. We pass a couple evangelical churches, and I realized this is a, a business. They are trying to get people, they're advertising and marketing like a company would. And with the acknowledgement, I want to be clear on this, with a lot of good people trying to follow the Savior to the best of their ability. And also, they're just like the different evangelical churches we'd see in our country. No difference, except they had a little different name and they would do things differently. But it was just like a, a Walmart or a Target or another company just trying to get more customers. And we passed pass the Catholic Cathedral. And in South America, the Catholic Church has a different doctrine than they have in North America. And the, in South America, they have a certain number of, of santos, saints, where they would actually worship these saints. And I'm not talking just honor them or admire them. They would worship them including the Virgin Mary, who is an incredible woman, the mother of the Messiah, who should be revered and respected and learned from, but not worshipped. And I remember passing the Catholic Church, after passing those evangelical churches and then passing the Catholic Cathedral, thinking, thank God I have the truth. On Sunday, our sacrament prayer, for any non-member out there, our sacrament prayers is every church on Sunday, we would have the bread and the water that represents the body and the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice for you. That prayer that we said in Spanish every Sunday is the same we're saying right here in Salt Lake City, Utah, as the same as it is in Tokyo, Japan, or anywhere else. That is the Christ doctrine. That is the doctrine of Christ. No other church has that. The Catholic Church down in South America is different than members of my family that have it here in North America. Those evangelical churches don't have the same doctrine that we have here in North America. Those, they're, they're incomplete. They don't have the full truth. It was that night where I was like, this is true. I'm in the middle of a country. I, am, I basically don't know the language. I've only been a member a year. Yet, I have this rock of the Savior, and I can lean on that anywhere in the world. That is so cool. That is so cool. Some some thoughts that came to my mind while you're talking about the difference and and how and becoming like over time as a member, how clear it becomes that this is Christ's church on earth. I feel like I have those had those times on my mission too, where I would just be like boom, like it would hit my heart and I'd be like, how do people not see this? Like, that's what my reaction would be. And I'd be like, what is going on? I think about how, like you said, there are so many churches that really are trying to bring people in because the more people they bring in, the more money they can have to do certain things, right? And there's a, I I think there's a big misconception in the Christian world of entertainment versus the spirit and adrenaline versus the spirit. And they'll go to these big evangelical churches and they'll have an amazing expensive band with like this pastor who's just so young and and fruitful and and is so fun to listen to him. 
And you'll one one thing that would happen with evangelicals coming to our church is they would say like, your church is kind of boring. And that's the difference between our church and other churches around the world is we don't go to church to be entertained. We don't go to church to have the pastor give us what we need to get through the week, right? That's not what we go to do. We go to church to worship the Lord and to have a one-on-one relationship with him so that we can become like him through the sacrament, right? Through repenting every single day to better ourselves, to become like a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I, I look at that and I think like, how do people not see that? We're not there to like be entertained and, and just to have fun. Like that's not what a, a worship towards the Lord is. You know what I mean? And I was also um, thinking about how you said it's so like, and this is another kind of blow, blow your mind thing about, oh my gosh, like it's so clear to me that this is the true church is that every church around the world, no matter what you call yourself, if you, if you call yourself Seventh-day Adventist, the next church down the street is different because the pastors have their own opinions, have their own experiences, and they go off of what they believe and they're teaching what they believe. And just because you call yourself the same thing, there's not the same doctrine. Um, it may be similar, but it's not the same. There's not a universal doctrine that is established through divine authority. And that's what, that was another blow your mind thing on my mission. Like you said, it was just like, we could go to Tokyo, Japan, or in Salt Lake City, Utah, and have the exact same feeling, exact same doctrine, exact same sacramental prayer, because the Lord doesn't work in randomness or in like, you choose what you want to do. He's pretty dang, he has order and he's pretty dang exacting on what he requires of us and his doctrine doesn't change. You know what I mean? And so those were big blow your mind things for me, which I really am glad you brought that up. And that was kind of one experience you had for you. Like, I'm so glad, like I'm in a, such a orderly faith that doesn't have churches that have so many different doctrines or so many different opinions or kind of just what the pastor wants to do. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. When my parents, like I said earlier, when they moved to Northwest Wisconsin, they couldn't call their church family and get help to move. When my mom moved to Minneapolis, she didn't have a church family that could help her move. When I moved in my new apartment downtown, two of my other two AM friends, Matt Jardine, Seth McCullough, they dropped everything on a Monday morning to help me move. And that's what the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints brings, is that kind of charity. With that said, are there going to be members who are disrespectful and hurtful to other people? Yes. Unfortunately, that happens. But just like just like Jackson was saying and I was saying earlier, the doctrine of Christ is true. The commandment to love God, number one, with everything you have, and to love thy neighbor as thyself, that's true. There are so many people outside the church that really strive to do that. But we have the truth of the doctrine of Christ with also the same orderly, the one faith, one Lord, one baptism, as the Apostle Paul taught. That's what we have here. And that's what I felt in South America. Each one of us are going to come to our lives. we got to have that. We can't have just changing the winds. I once went to, I went to an evangelical church before I was baptized, and this was my last Sunday before I was meeting with the missionaries in that particular church before I met with the missionaries, they canceled their worship service for Super Bowl Sunday. And, <laughs> and that was, and my mom, it was right before she was getting the diagnosis, but you know, it was ominous. We, you know, 
my family's not stupid. We saw what was going on with my with the doctors. No matter how nice the oncologist was saying, yeah, we have this new new therapy, you know, new new drug and stuff. We told us that four other times. It hasn't done a blank thing. So we get yeah. it. There isn't something to heal my mom's cancer. We get it. And it was around those times when the oncologist was saying that and other things. And then come back to Salt Lake City after visiting my family, come back to Salt Lake City and find out that the church canceled Super Bowl church for Super Bowl Sunday. I'm like, I'm done with this. Right now, I need a rock. And canceling church for worldly things is not a rock. And that will never happen in the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, because this is the Lord's church. Let me give you one other evidence that I know has helped my testimony grow. Jared Skildum and Mary Skildum. <coughs> love these people. When my companion and I, COVID happened, get reassigned to one of the greatest states ever in the history of man, Wisconsin. <laughs> the blessed state of Wisconsin. Go back there. And Elder Brown, Elder Drake Brown, who I also love, he and I were companions, and we're put in the YSA Winnebago branch. Home base was in Nina, Wisconsin, just north of Lake Winnebago, the biggest lake of a state that has around 10,000 lakes. We're there, and it's COVID. We are told, so missionaries, you're supposed to talk with everybody about the Savior. And we're mandated by law, by federal law, to not speak with people. Well, state law, I guess. We're mandated not to speak with people. And so we're like, you know what? We're talking somehow. So we pull up our phones and we call the ward directory, everybody. And we got through it once and we called everybody again and again and again. One of those times going through the directory, we come across a Jared Skildum. He's a former offensive lineman collegiately, grew up in the church, did everything he was supposed to. He unfortunately had a serious bad habit that was spiritually and emotionally destructive, personally and also with his family, his relations with his family. It was so severe that it nearly drove him out of the church. When he was going to his freshman year of college, that was the second to last straw before he was going to leave, where it's like, I did all these things I'm supposed to do. I went to Sunday school, primary, all that stuff. Has My, my bad habit's still here. Oh, then COVID hits, and he gets a shoulder injury that would derail his football career. And he gets goes back home, and he's in his, you know, his parents' basement, and he's like, "My life is awful right now. My football dreams are gone. I don't have anyone to talk to, and I've been doing all the good church stuff my whole life, and this is where it got me. I'm done with this." He gets a text from these missionaries he's never heard of before. And this is literally Jared's thought. I'm giving the church one last shot. You know, maybe these missionaries can give it one last shot, then I'm done. I'm gone. And not just two weeks, so I'll give it a month away. No, I'm taking my names. I'm gone. I'm out of here. Wow. <laughs> and this was you guys texting him. Yep. Right? Okay, yep. cool. And again, with all glory to the Lord, we text him. We're like, hey, you know, we're missionaries. We'd love to meet with you when you can. Jared says, okay, I'll meet with you. And in his mind, that's he has those thoughts of leaving. He meets with us. And you can tell the very first call, he's like all tense. And like he's just – he looked like a football coach. Just like you make one misstep, this call is over. And you just, you just feel that. Yeah. <laughs> it gets even better to, to, to try and uh, catch us off guard. He throws – he just incessantly throws Star Wars into the lesson. Just all these Star Wars He's a huge Star Wars fan. Well, Elder Brown is a huge Star Wars fan. So this is the Lord's timing on this. 
Elder, your companion at the time. My companion, yeah. yep. Elder Brown. And Elder, to anyone who's not familiar, Elder just means missionary, which is a title we get. Yeah. And he loves Star Wars. He takes these Star Wars quotes that Jared Skillop's throwing at us and then runs with it. 20 minutes later, he ties it into the Savior's atonement, into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And literally, I see Jared Skillop's eyes like go up, like, impressive. I did not expect that. <laughs> That's so awesome, dude. <laughs> We have a return appointment a week later. That becomes a habit. We start meeting with Jared every week. We then ask Jared to join us for a lesson with another with a non-member. He was utterly flabbergasted. Couldn't believe it that we asked him. But joins us. We ask him to share the restoration of the Savior's atonement, particularly when the Heavenly Father and the Savior appear to Joseph Smith. Now, I knew the church was true, but I was still the Book of Mormon, I was still I had my own personal things I was working through. You know, to anyone that's not familiar with the church, anyone that is familiar, the Book of Mormon's different. It doesn't sound, it sounds more like the Old Testament than the New Testament. And especially for Christians, we love the four Gospels. I, we all three of us love the four Gospels. It's not the same, doesn't have that same kind of Pauline fire right away. It talks about Nephi and Lehi and this family from the Middle East and like all this stuff that we're not familiar with. And so I'm like, okay, I'm trying to figure out this Book of Mormon thing still, but I believe it, and I'm doing my best. This is what solidified it for me. Jared is sharing how Heavenly Father and the Savior appear to the prophet Joseph Smith, as he's like all of us do in our lives, trying to figure out which church is true, and really he goes down to seek for forgiveness. Number one, that was his main drive. But also, his other question was, which church is true? There's so many of these, and a lot of them are businesses. This is everything to me. Which one's true? One, the Savior tells him he's forgiven, which is what he will tell, tell all of us who sincerely ask him, and we do our best to repent and change. And then he restores the church through him. When Jared was sharing that, and everyone is listening now, you feel the Spirit right now. I know you do. I feel that you feel the Spirit now. When Jared was sharing that story, his screen got brighter by about 10%. Because remember, this is back in COVID. We were doing a Zoom call. Literally, by 10%, his screen got brighter. I could feel, I saw the light in his eyes sparkle again, shining. The light was shining. I knew he just gained a spiritual witness that the church was true, is true, and was restored through the prophet Joseph Smith. He joins us for another lesson the great missionary Elder Brown, who I learned so much from and I love, Elder Drake Brown, follows the Spirit in that lesson, gives an invitation we didn't plan. He invites the other returning member and Jared to read the Book of Mormon every day, just a little bit, just a page a day, that's it. And I want to invite everyone else on this call to do that. Read the Book of Mormon every day. If you're an active member or even if you're against the church, give it a shot. Check in in a month. And I'm not just, you know, really give it the old college try. Do it consistently every day. Don't take days off. Read it every day. And don't just ask if the church is true. Ask, how is your life? So let me tell you how Jared's life is better. One, he overcame that bad habit. Two, he gained his own witness the church is true. He didn't need to listen to anybody. He knew for himself from God the church was true. He realized football isn't everything in life. All the fears and pains and adversity he was facing, they suddenly became conquerable because Jesus Christ was with him. He comes back to full activity in the church. Another wonderful sister, Mary, Mary, formerly Mary Young, soon to, yes, Mary Skildum. You guys get how that happens. Yep. 
they meet, they develop a great friendship. Mary come, goes and goes and serves a mission, comes back, and in two weeks, I have the honor to to help to conduct their marriage ceremony. So and, cool. <laughs> and your life is going to be blessed as well when you let Jesus Christ in. And why the Book of Mormon is the most truest book on earth? Nothing else in life will bring it closer to Christ than reading the Book of Mormon every day. Sincerely, dude, that was awesome. Thank you so much. I felt the spirit so strong today. Um, and there was a couple times that, you know how like there, there are many times or many different ways we feel the spirit. And sometimes there's a pierce to the heart and sometimes there's, you know, just a small peaceful thing or happy feelings. But there were certain times where I really felt like a strong, just like boom, like pierce to the heart where I really felt the spirit so strong. And just like he said, um, if we're gathered in Jesus Christ's name and we can feel the spirit, we know you can. And so those listening, that good feeling, whether it was a pierce of the heart or just a good feeling, just a simple, wow, this is this is good. I like this. That's the spirit. And the spirit's job is to testify to you truth, right? And so you know from these feelings that it is true. What he is saying is true. And what we've been um, talking about is conversion story, the teachings of Jesus Christ and what's done to our lives is true. Um, and like he said, I would add on to that. Read the Book of Mormon every single day with, you know, a sincere heart, really try to figure if it's false or true. And if you go into that with that intent of just trying to see, like, what do you have to lose? If it's true, you just found the best thing you could ever find in your entire life. And if it's false, you don't lose anything. You know, it's not true. And so for those who don't want to give a true effort at it, I would say, what do you have to lose? Because you could gain the true teachings of Jesus Christ that could change your life forever, for eternity. You know what I mean? Well, before we end, do you have any final thoughts that you've been thinking of, Alex? And if not, I have a couple questions. Yeah, um, I would like to, I just have a couple thoughts um, with what you were just talking about the, through the Book of Mormon and how much like power there is behind the Book of Mormon. So true. And I just want to like add my like promises. And these are not just for me, these are from, from God that when you read the Book of Mormon or read these scriptures, especially the Book of Mormon, in your life, you can feel so much more hope in, you know, in each and every day of your life. Like I, I notice a huge difference in my life, a huge difference in my life about when I read the Book of Mormon, when I don't. I just feel so happy. I feel so hopeful. And I feel like so much more motivated to do things that are harder for me. Um, that's one way you could feel the spirit or feel like know that this is true that you are a better person because of it. And God is supporting you. God loves you. And one of the things that I've always felt that I just feel I'm not forgotten when I read the Book of Mormon every day. That's a huge feeling to have when you feel lonely or feel like you want to give up. I think one, one of the biggest blessings you can receive from reading this book, wonderful book every day, this true book every day, is just being able to just push another day push forward through another day because there's some times where life is really hard. It just sucks. But being able to just push forward and just being able to last one more day is just a blessing that you can receive. Dude, 100%. I, I will also testify that anytime, no matter what, it, it's crazy. I can't, I can't deny it. Every single time I've ever been faced with anything bad, you know, anxiety, depression, any hardships in my life, any trials, I feel like I'm just so down. 
no matter what, if I read the Book of Mormon, I could be reading it and not understand what's going on. And as soon as I open the book and read, somehow there's peace that comes back to me. And it's, I can't, I never can deny that. I can't deny that, uh, the power of that book that when I just read it, no matter what I'm going through, somehow peace, happiness, or something comes into my heart where I just know everything's going to be okay. Um, yeah, I, I have a couple of questions um, for you before we end. Just some things that we've been talking about. I think first, why you can give your short answer, but I'm assuming your answer for why you went on a mission is because you wanted to preach what you felt, right? But what was like the, cause that's a big decision after being baptized and then only a year later going on a mission right after your endowment. So like what made you want to go or realize you needed to go? Jesus Christ. That's why I went. That's also why I stayed. That's, I've been home for two years. That's, that's why I, and not just stay as a member, really give it my all. I really want to emphasize this. Anyone that knows me knows I'm imperfect. And any good you felt through this podcast, any good you saw in me, it's not me. This, like the good you see here, and the good you heard here and the good you felt here from all three of us, it's not us. We are reflections of Jesus Christ. We are vessels, we're instruments. We are simply pointing you up to him, to them. And we're only like 0. 0.0000 like percent, like 1% of that reflection. Like, like I mean, just imagine what you feel like when you have your own personal relationship with the Savior. Like we're just a tiny percentage of what you'll feel, but also one day in his presence. That's what's so cool about it is like, this is just a tiny, you know, tiny compared to what a personal relationship with him is. So that's right. I'd also add you who are listening to this podcast, you're going through so much adversity, just like you heard me go through. That's what a personal relationship with Jesus Christ will bring. It will bring you strength. It will bring you hope. Alex and Jackson, I add my testimony to those three, to those two. You listening to this, come to Jesus Christ and how you stay with him and how you keep him number one in your life, no matter what hell you're facing, is reading the Book of Mormon every day. There's a power and that power is the Savior. That is what that's where I can honestly tell you and look you in your eye and tell you this. I have so much joy in my life. I'm filled with it. It's because of the Savior. And that's and that's exactly why I went out on a mission. And I'm so grateful I did because I learned that truth, the power that the Book of Mormon brings. There's nothing like it. What would you say to those who, you know, may are trying to decide if God exists or if Jesus Christ is real? Or for someone in your same situation who may have had, you know, trauma or, or faced some really hard times and they're kind of looking for something, what would you say to them? That's phenomenal. I'll even add empathy is so important. I've always been blessed. So anyone here who's listening to this podcast, if you have those questions, to be honest with you, I... I don't know what it feels like not to have that feeling of not knowing if God exists. I've always been blessed with that. Even in my days of, of the world and not going to church at all, basically, being back in Wisconsin before I came to Utah, 
what I do know, and I, in a way, it's the same thing you're feeling, not wondering if God exists, is giving my life to the Savior, following Him, even going on a mission and learning those truths about the restored gospel of Christ and how true the Book of Mormon is, and that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, and that President Russell M. Nelson is a prophet of God, and they love us, and they speak the truth, and we should follow their teachings, and we should seek our own confirmation that what they're saying is true. I still have adversity in my family. One of the reasons I couldn't go very in-depth to Jackson's question about my grandfather is my family's still going through a lot. There's stuff we're keeping in-house that we're working through at the outset of this podcast. I personally am living the forgiving people while having boundaries, having people who are abusive in my life, who are toxic. It's not safe to be around them. It's not safe spiritually or emotionally. And I feel one of you listening, you who's listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. Unfortunately, you don't just know you, you're going through that too. And back to that question and keeping if, if you're going through that to you as well, but also the individual who's wondering if God exists, I have the same kind of doubts of, yes, I have joy. Yes, I have happiness. Yes, I read the Book of Mormon every day. But I still have this pain. And, and like I said, with my mom going through a trauma, I go to friends' houses and I go hang out with friends. I go to church. And I see my awesome bishop and his family. And I see the amazing mother that my bishop's wife is in every ward I've been in. Even on my mission, I see these incredible families. I would be teaching about families even. And I'll have that tug and the adversary would just whip it at me like he does of like, yeah, dude, you're teaching about eternal families, but your family's not eternal. I mean, look how messed up your family is. And, you know, I have members of my family who I love who are choosing not to follow the Savior. We have that similarity, that same enigmatic situation of whether it's believing God exists or the incredible promises and truths that I already know God exists, but I don't have that sight yet. It really is that pure faith. What I can say is actions speak louder than words. And what's beautiful about the restored church, and you won't get in anywhere else, is we have the Book of Mormon. That's why the Book of Mormon is such a gift, is because to you who's wondering if God exists, and to you who's going through that abuse that I just talked about, who feels what I'm talking about, read the Book of Mormon every day. Let that action do the preaching. Don't let me and my imperfectness and perfectness and my weaknesses, which I have a lot of, don't let me stop you from going to him. Go straight to him. That's what's so beautiful. If anyone on this podcast, if you know the church is true, but you have a bishop or another trusted leader, even your own family who have hurt you, who do what leaders aren't supposed to do, who do what Christians and above all what the Savior would never even think of, hurt you that way, that's the beauty of the Book of Mormon. Let Go straight to him. Don't let anyone stop you. That was freaking amazing. Um, once again, I felt the Spirit so strong and just adding on to what he said, don't let imperfect people, don't don't hold imperfect people to a, a standard of perfection because we're all here to um, 
learn from our sins and mistakes and grow from them and use the atonement of Jesus Christ. And when someone in the church does something that's not Christ-like, that's not a reflection on the doctrine of Jesus Christ and what we want to become like one day. I've learned from this podcast and just from my life and especially from the mission that you always end on when the spirit's the highest and when it's the strongest. So then those listening can, you know, go figure it out for themselves. And we don't want the spirit to dwindle um, or we don't want the spirit to go down, downward from this time. And so um, this has been Conversion to Christ podcast. We are so grateful that we had the opportunity to um, hear Derek's story and We're so grateful Alex joined, and we will see you on the next one. Bye-bye.